and turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'm wondering this evening how many of you have heard of this old song, It Took a Miracle. Okay, there are a few who have. I think it comes with the older generation. But here are some of the lyrics to that song. And Pastor Brian was praying about some of these this evening. My father is omnipotent, and that you can't deny. A God of might and miracles, tis written in the sky. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to hang the world in space. But when He saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. And all God's people say, Amen to that. And beloved, this is a result of the gospel which is captured in verses 3 to 8 of Colossians chapter 1. So I want you to follow along as I read this uh, wonderful portion of Scripture here at the beginning of this epistle. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. You see, as Paul thought about the church at Colossae, he was compelled in these verses that we just read to pray, beginning with thanksgiving, for the work of the gospel in their lives. And I just want you to know that this isn't unusual because he does the very same thing with other churches. I want you to look with me this evening just the prison epistles alone, of which Colossae is one. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to notice what Paul said at the beginning of that epistle as well. A word of thanksgiving for that church. Verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 1. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Now go with me over to Philippians. The very next epistle. Again, these are the prison epistles. Beginning with verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. Now, take your Bibles and turn over to Philemon. Philemon. Titus Philemon. And in this letter to Philemon, there in verses 4 to 7, we have this word of thanksgiving. Philemon, verses 4 to 7. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Clearly what is emphasized in all of these prayers of thanksgiving is the spiritual elements of salvation through the gospel. And so, beloved, let me ask you this question. What is emphasized in your prayers of thanksgiving for yourself and for others? I hope it is the work of the gospel in your life. Because, beloved, it is a miracle of love and grace. It's a miracle of love and grace. In fact, if this is your meditation in a given day, I believe you will find your heart exalting Christ, which is the very theme of Colossians. And so tonight, I want to draw your attention to three elements, three elements of Paul's thanksgiving here in Colossians chapter 1 to encourage you, to challenge you in your prayers, and to draw you closer to Christ. And one element is seen there in the third verse. Follow with me as I read it again. He says, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. I want you to know that this is the most important element of his thanksgiving. What is it? What do you see there in verse 3? Paul is thankful for the source of the gospel. Paul is thankful for the source of the gospel. As you can see, he is thankful to whom? God. He is thankful to God who is that source and brings grace to mankind. It all begins with him. Amen? Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's easy to read this verse and pass by that. And I don't want you to pass by it. I want you to see the most important element of Paul's thanksgiving. It's the source of the gospel. It's God. It begins with Him. Now you've heard me say many times from this pulpit that from beginning to end, the work of salvation, the plan of redemption through the gospel is a work of God. From beginning to end. In fact, it all began before the foundation of the world in the mind of God. Before the, before the foundation of the world. Think about that. First, because God would allow sin in the world, He planned to send His Son to be the Savior. 
Wow. Because he would allow sin into the world, he planned to send his own son to be the Savior. You just have to pause for a moment to think about that. Peter himself spoke to this in Acts chapter 2 in that great sermon on the day of Pentecost. Go with me, if you would, over to Acts chapter 2. Just for a moment. Acts chapter 2. And I want you to see this. See what he says in the middle of this message. Beginning with verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the what? Predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And he's stating that from Psalm 16. In fact, as I was thinking about this passage of Scripture earlier this week, I couldn't help but think of Isaiah 53. We know that great prophecy concerning the suffering servant, Jesus Christ, some 700 years before it occurred. And what does it say there in verse 10 concerning the suffering servant? It pleased the Lord to what? Crush him. To crush him. Frankly, beloved, this is a mystery to me. It really is. I cannot fully get my my mind and my heart wrapped around this. But somehow, through it all, God gets the glory. And not only that, we come to know Him better. Praise be to Him. And further, God chose before the foundation of the world those whom He would save. Now think about that. <laughs> and then in the providence of time, He would call them to himself, justify them by faith, sanctify them, and one day glorify them. And God is still in the process of all of that (laughs) because he has not returned as of yet. These redemptive truths are seen all over the scriptures. I want you to look with me once again at a well-known passage. I never get tired of reading this text. Go with me to Romans 8. Romans 8. Because it speaks to the very things I just said. Romans 8. I said a number of times that if I were ever stranded on an island and I had one chapter of the Bible in my hands, I'd want it to be Romans 8. It would. There's no question in my mind. Beginning with verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, 
He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And then he asks this question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? What does he say in verse 38 and following? For I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He planned this all before the foundation of the world. Wow. Beloved, it is no wonder why Paul gives thanks to God here for the work of the gospel through Christ. Indeed, He is the source. It all begins with Him. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So let us meditate upon that tonight. Give thanks in our hearts and exalt Him today and every day. I trust tomorrow, as you sit at your tables, as you sit with family, that you're discussing and that you're thanking God for Him being the source of the gospel. Because without Him, we are lost. We are empty. This brings us to the second element of thanksgiving there in verses 4 to 6. Follow as I continue to read here. He says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints... Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world also. It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it, and understand the grace of God in truth. And so what is emphasized there in verses 4 to 6? What is another element of thanksgiving in Paul's prayer? Paul is thankful for the fruit of the gospel. Paul is thankful for the fruit of the gospel. Now, there is much that could be said (laughs) about this from these verses. In fact, we could just take verses 4 through 6 alone and preach for the next hour. But I just want to highlight a few things from these verses tonight. The apostle here was speaking of the spiritual change in the hearts and lives of the Colossians, from the preaching and embracing of the gospel. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And the fruit that he specifically identified was what? What is the fruit that he specifically identifies in this passage? And actually, all the passages that I read tonight from the prison epistles. It's faith, love, 
Hope. Faith, love, and hope. Which speaks to commitment to God, sacrifice for others, and a certainty of the future. These are fruits of the gospel. I like how Paul expressed it in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that great love chapter. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is, is love. Yeah. Also, I want you to notice how he said it to the church at Thessalonica. Turn with me a couple epistles forward to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. First Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. He says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. So what he's saying there in those verses is that their work, their labor for God and others was motivated by faith and love. And their steadfastness was sustained by hope. That's what he's saying. And beloved, that is what the gospel produces. In fact, look what he continues to say there in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. He comes back to it again in chapter 2, verse 13. Notice what it says there. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Amen and amen. Beloved, the evidence of these fruits is significant in identifying the genuineness of your Christian life. Again, let me ask you, do you see these fruits manifested and growing in your life? You should. If you profess to know Christ... These fruits should be manifested and growing. I say that because every epistle that you come to, Paul starts out with this prayer of thanksgiving as he sees these fruits in their lives. And beloved, they bring great assurance of salvation and are a matter of continual thanksgiving to God So Paul, in this text, is thankful to the source of the gospel. He's thankful for the fruit of the gospel. Again, this Thanksgiving season and throughout this Christmas season, actually every day, let's be thanking God for that and His work in your heart and life. Yeah, it's a miracle of love and grace. It is. It's a miracle. Now to a final element of thanksgiving. And we see that there in Colossians 1 in verse 7. He goes on and says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras. What did he learn? It was the gospel. (laughs) 
They learned the gospel through Epaphras. He says that back in verse 5, and he continues to talk about it in verse 6. Just as you learned it, that is the gospel from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on your behalf. And so what do you see here? What's another element of thanksgiving from this prayer of the Apostle Paul? It is simply this. He is thankful for the witness of the gospel. He's thankful for the witness of the gospel. As you can see from these verses, the Colossians heard, they learned, and they understood. They came to really know the gospel because Epaphras was a faithful bondservant of Christ. He was a faithful bondservant because he was convinced, as Paul, that the gospel was the power of God unto salvation. And so he showed his love for these people by sharing the truth with them, by sharing the gospel with them, and many of them coming to salvation. In fact, look with me at the end of this epistle, chapter 4 and verse 12. Colossians 4 and verse 12. Paul says this to the church. He wants to remind them of this man. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. He was not only concerned for their salvation, but he was concerned for what else? Their sanctification. (laughs) Their growth in the Lord. That was on his heart. Beloved, in Romans 10, verses 13 to 17, we read these familiar words. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I ask you this question this evening. Who is the person or persons who witnessed to you and eventually led to your salvation. Pastor Brian, this past week, this past Sunday, stood before us and shared with us about a man who had recently passed away that was instrumental in leading him to Christ. He told me about it earlier in the week, then he told me about it again on Sunday. He says, you know, Kirk, it's just been walling up in my heart, and I think I want to share it with the people. I said, go ahead. (laughs) It's something to be thankful for, because it was God who sent that man to him. And that man was patient with him, answering all of his questions. The Lord used all of that to draw his heart to Christ. You know, I think back to my years Before I was saved, I grew up in a Christian home, thankful for that. And I heard the gospel. 
But I truly didn't embrace Christ until I was 16 years old. A friend of mine who thought I was a believer had the boldness to confront me in my sin. He thought I was a Christian, and so he's basically saying, you know what, Christians don't live this way. (laughs) He was bold enough to say that. And God used that to convict my heart of sin and my need of Jesus Christ. And it was shortly thereafter I got saved. And often I ponder on that, and I say, this is a miracle of love and grace. (laughs) Who was the one, or who were the ones who were instrumental? Who were the witnesses that shared the gospel with you? Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a co-worker, (laughs) a grandparent, a classmate, a Sunday school teacher, a youth leader, a pastor. And the list just goes on and on and on. Beloved, this should fill your heart with joy and thanksgiving as you think about it. Again, what a blessing. What grace. God not only chose you before the foundation of the world to be saved, but then He ordained the witnesses to come to you and to share that gospel. And He drew your heart to Himself, justified you, is sanctifying you, and one day will glorify you. From beginning to end, it is a work of God. The following four verses there, verses 9 to 12, lead to further prayer for the church's sanctification as a result of the gospel. In fact, the main request in that prayer following is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And really, I believe that the apostles' thanksgiving that preceded all of this in part, was meant to encourage this growth. And so tonight, and basically every day, may you never forget the source of the gospel that brings about the fruit of the gospel through the witness of the gospel. These are three elements that he emphasizes in this prayer of thanksgiving. They're meant for us to remember. And I trust, as Paul was thankful, you'll respond in the same way. Even now as we enter our time of testimonies. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the miracle of love and grace in our hearts. Oh God, as Paul, we are thankful the source of the gospel you everything began with you we're thankful for the fruit of the gospel in our lives you produced that and you brought about the witness of the gospel to our hearts when we needed it and drew us to yourself oh how i thank you for this miracle of love and grace help us to ponder this through this thanksgiving season through the christmas season and on into the new year may it just fill our hearts with joy and thanksgiving every single day and bring glory to you we just pray now for our testimony time may may it be an encouragement to our hearts for your glory in jesus name amen